Have you been to the doctors recently? Have you been there, yeah? I've avoided the doctors for many, many years. I've managed to avoid them for many years, uh, and, until a few years ago, and then I had to go and see the doctor. So, you know, you, you phone up, don't you, or you email, and you, you make it sound really bad, yeah? So you can get past the secretary. I don't know if there's doctor secretaries here. Well done. And uh, you make it sound really bad. It's best, I find, best emailing, because you can, you can just put little snippets in that sound really bad, and then they'll, 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 they'll phone you up, come and see me. So I go and see them, and you go in, and go into the consulting room, there they are, and the doctor. And the doctor says, now what's the problem? And you tell them the problem. And they suck their teeth, and they ask a few more questions, don't they? Then they do a few tests, little tests, and they say, yes, okay, what's your... and here's the treatment, and you take the treatment, and you go home. And sometimes they'll say, oh, I need to, I need to send you to a higher power, you get sent somewhere else, someone with, with more knowledge of this particular problem comes and they go, oh yes, more machines, they, they x-ray you and all these things. And then they go, yes, yes, that's a problem. And there's going to be some treatment. This may stink, if you're lucky. Sometimes they'll say, now, take a big deep breath, this may hurt, but it's for your best. It's for your best. And you go, let's open this. Sometimes you're not convinced. When, in the 1980s, I was growing up, I went to a conference, a convention that was held in a, a small Baptist church outside Preston called Inskip. Inskip Baptist had a convention every year, and uh, they had good speakers come. And one year, I remember, uh, I went and heard a man called Billy Strachan. Uh, he'll probably be unknown to you. Do, do you know Billy? Oh, he was a, he was a glass region. He was wild. He had this great plan for churches. He had this, it, was like, it, was like a, it was like a stair lift, okay? And, uh, and he said what he would do is, he, he asked if it could be done, and they told him he couldn't. But um, what he wanted was a button in the pulpit, and he pressed the button, and when he pressed the button, the front row disappeared, and the back row moved forward, and another, another row popped up behind. And we all thought it was a genius idea. So you could, Billy Strachan, you can imagine... Glass region, his background was a, um, a, a stand-up comedian, uh, but he had been saved, and he was, at this point, he was the principal of a Bible college called Cape and Ray Bible School, uh, just outside uh, Lancaster. It's still there, and it still has students associated with an American uh, Bible school as well, Cape and Ray. So he was, and he came to Malachi. I remember, I remember it very well. I remember it very well. He did a series on Malachi, and he says, when you come to Malachi, you are walking into a doctor's room. You're walking into a doctor's consulting room. And as you walk into the doctor's consulting room, Dr. Malachi, he's only a registrar. The true consultant is God. If you actually read the book, 40% of the book, is God saying. It's God says. 40% of the book is the consultant. But Malachi is the registrar. He stands between us and the consultant. And he says, when you go into Malachi, you're going into a doctor's room. But more is not a normal doctor. He's a cardiologist. And he's a spiritual cardiologist. And his interest is your heart. Your heart. 
And when you open Malachi, you have your heart challenged and tested. And so come in and I welcome you in to Malachi's surgical room. And we're going to have our hearts tested and we're going to see how well we are and if we're healthy and if we're sick. And if we're sick, well, there's going to be some remedy, a treatment to help us. And that's how I'm going to approach Malachi. And uh, it is about love. The first chapter just sets it up. The first chapter sets up the whole book. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? There we go. You go into his room and he puts on the, the probes and he says, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with your heart. True religion is pleasing to God. It is heart religion. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself because that's the overflow of love for God. My first heading is very simple. The presenting symptoms. When you go into any, any operating or surgical place, they'll say, what's wrong? What's wrong? And you tell them you're presenting symptoms. From that, they work out what the disease is, don't they? What's the presenting symptoms? Well, here we have them. God says, I've loved you. But the people respond, how have you loved us? That's what's presenting. The people feel unloved. I'm not loved. I don't feel cared for. Why are you here? I don't feel cared for. I don't feel loved. I doubt God's word. God says to me, I love you, and I hear it, but I don't feel it. In myself, I don't, I don't feel that I am loved. I'm suspicious of God's word. He says all these kind things with regard to me. He all says all these kind things in his attitude towards me, but I have to be honest, I just don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't sense it. They question God's word. They question God's desires. They question God's intent. They're very suspicious of God. They question God's actions. Is it loving? It's a very sad place to be when someone who calls themselves a Christian, it's a very sad place to be when they doubt God's love for them. But it's not an unusual place to be. It's not an unusual place to be. And maybe that's, where, that's you. Maybe today you, you don't feel that God loves you. Maybe today you, you're doubting God. <coughs> whether God loves you. You're doubting whether, whether God's word is, is true, whether God cares for you, whether God has the best intentions for you. Now, remember, love is not just affection. Love is a, an, a, a, a desire, an attitude. Love is very practical. It seeks the best for you. It's jealous of you. It cares for you. But it's a very sad position when someone who calls himself a Christian, someone who calls themselves a follower of God, says, you know, I just don't feel loved. They're in a low ebb. They're in a low state in their heart towards God. 
And we can get into that position. There's very many reasons why we get into that position, which is what Malachi is about. He starts to test us and ask, why are you in this low position? Why, why, is your, why do you not think that God loves you with a power and an authority and a glory? Why, why do you feel that he's not got the best in store for you or in mind for you? It's a very dangerous place to be. You say, well, I, I do feel loved by God. Okay. Well, here's the, oh, another little test. And, and it's a truism. If you feel loved by God, why are you looking for love elsewhere? If you feel loved by God, why are you looking for love elsewhere? Why are you looking for attention and affection? Why are you so worried about it? What, what, what is it about, about you that, that you're, you're, you're searching for love and for affection elsewhere? It's a very dangerous thing. When you stop feeling that God loves you and believing that God loves you, you will find and look for love elsewhere. Why do people leave the church? Why do people leave the church of Christ? Because they do not feel that God loves them. And someone else, somewhere else, is offering them a better love. It's the only reason, really. We follow our hearts, ultimately. We follow our hearts. Why don't we want to be in church? Because we think that somewhere else, someone has something better for me. God's word is no longer speaking. It's no longer heard. It's no longer valued. Now, if you go into a consultant and you say that, I don't feel loved and my heart is at a low ebb, the consultant, if he's any wisdom at all, would say, well, tell me a little about your life. Tell me what's going on in your life. And when you go into a doctor's surgery and you say, I'm feeling low and... and well, they have five minutes and they say, well, you've got three minutes to tell me what's happening in your life. Well, God gives us a bit longer than that. So, so what's happening in the lives of the people in Malachi? Well, they've returned from captivity, 70 years of captivity. Um, they're now in the promised land. They had once been such a dominant empire. They had been so dominant and the world had come to visit them. And then they had been taken into captivity to Babylon. Uh, they were in Babylon for 70 years and then they came back and uh, they've been back. And when they came back, it was a remarkable thing, a remarkable set of circumstances. King Darius, he completely changed how he was going to rule Babylon. And, uh, and, and he decided that he was going to allow people to go back to their homes. Incredible, a remarkable change. Uh, not only did he do that, but he enabled the children of Israel to get back home. In fact, he gave money towards it, which is quite remarkable. And he gave them their, uh, many of their uh, temple uh, utility uh, instruments for their temple, many of the things to do with the temple, to take back with them. Uh, he, he emptied his treasury of the Jewish uh, temple objects so that they could go back and worship. It was, it was phenomenal. It's incredible came out of the blue in a way. 
And they, they came back to Israel, but they found it was hard going. And they found it was, it was very difficult. And when they got back, um, they found that there were people who were against them. They didn't want them to rebuild. A man called Samballot and other, other rascals who really wanted to keep control of, of, of the, the, the province. And they didn't want Israel to get any kind of toehold back. And so they had these ongoing and running battles. The people got weary. And then Nehemiah came along and, and he rejuvenated things. And, and the temple was rebuilt and the, the, the uh, city walls were rebuilt. And there was a lot of hugely encouraging things happening. But that was almost 100 years ago. And, and, and nothing had really happened. They were still, they were still an outskirt, outlying little province. They, they thought that King David would appear and that they would dominate the world again and take control. And, and, but a hundred years have passed, they've not taken control. They're, they don't even really have a king, that anything that you could talk about. Uh, they have no great influence and they're disappointed. They're nowhere near the glorious return that was promised. And as you read through the book, the services were boring. They weren't interesting. They didn't really enjoy going to worship God. They were half-hearted. You see that in chapter, chapter 1. They were half-hearted in their praise. They were half-hearted in the sacrifices. Because, you know, it wasn't very rewarding going to church. I felt miserable and downhearted when I left. And, you know, it's... it's uh, and my prayers, God stopped answering my prayers. You can read that as you keep reading through it. God stopped answering my prayers. I keep praying, but God's not answering my prayers. My family life's not a mess. It's totally disastrous. Children are playing up. Surrenders. Whenever I see around me all kinds of immorality and injustice, they're just getting away with it. They're just getting away with injustice. All kinds of things are happening. No one's holding anyone to an account. Why would I bother serving God? You know, does he care for me? Well, that seems conclusive, doesn't it? You know, they've, they've got a good reason to wonder whether God loves them, haven't they? You know, uh, they, they, it's, 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 they, their life is nothing like what they were promised. Nothing like what they were promised. Nothing like what they expected. Does God love them? Has he stopped loving them? Consider how easy it is to get into this mindset where you doubt God's love for you, where you feel defeated and, and hopeless, you know? And, and it, it happens. It happens to us all. You know, we become Christians. We think, well, this is fantastic. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Life's going to be easy. Well, it is for about six hours, and then you realize you're in a spiritual battle. And we go, well, okay, well, I've got the armor of God, but then you realize the spiritual battle doesn't stop. And, and, and there are some defeats. Uh, in fact, it feels like there are more defeats than there are victories. There are not, but sometimes it feels like there are more defeats than victories. And the, the church services are incredibly boring, you know. 
we thought they were exciting and they'd be ex- and, 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 and it's the same every week and they kind of they kind of become boring and and uh, and the preachers there they say all the same thing they're kind of boring as well and they, I don't know when it was last that I heard a preacher and got something good out of what the preacher said it's been months since since my heart was encouraged and refreshed by something that the preacher said and you get into this mindset it's like a downward spiral how easy it is to get into that defeat mindset downhearted and of course at that point you start looking for love somewhere else don't you you start looking for love somewhere else and and that's the issue in malachi it's the issues that we face in our lives in our day and times in our lives when we know exactly what what micah means uh, sorry what malachi means exactly what the children of israel mean self-pity begins to feed our souls well that's the presenting issues what's the what's the diagnosis well the, the, the diagnosis is fairly simple um you're entitled we would say nowadays wouldn't we entitlement uh, you feel privileged you should be privileged you think you're self-righteous i'm doing everything right and god's doing everything wrong um they look at what God has taken from them and haven't asked why. They've not asked why. Why the 70 years in Babylon? Because they turned their back on God. But that's God's fault, not their fault. Uh, why the slow return? Well, because they were slow to return. Uh, why, why hasn't the city grown as quickly? Because they were too busy building their houses. We'll find out later on. Uh, why is the temple just not not really not really functioning? Why are the priests not really functioning? Why are they so downhearted? Well, because they're not giving their we'll call it collections. They're keeping their collections in their pockets, and they're not contributing to the work of God. And so the work of God is hindered by it. But they're not asking those questions. <coughs> that that that's they're not asking those questions so they look at what god has taken away and not asked why and they fail to appreciate what god has given them and they don't say thank you they're no longer prisoners they're free they have a free land they have a city they have a temple they have fields they have incredible security provided I accept by the Persians, Babylonians, but they have incredible security and incredible freedom and great opportunity. And the sun rises and sets and the rains come and grow and the crops grow and, and they, they have remarkable, remarkable blessings, but they fail to appreciate them. They're so busy looking at what they've lost and what they didn't get that they expected to get and they fail to appreciate what they have and what God has given them. God takes them back in this mindset that they have and God speaks. The consultant walks into the room, you could say. And the consultant says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I've loved a Jacob, 
But Esau I've hated, and I've laid waste his hill country, and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. And whenever his people, the Edomites, say, we've been scattered, but we'll rebuild, God says, you may rebuild, but I'll tear down again. I'll call you the wicked people that you are, and I'll be angry with you forever. Your own eyes will see this. So God takes them back to their history and to first principles, back to Jacob. And he says, you know, I loved Jacob. I loved Jacob. Let's start there. Why did God love Jacob? Well, because he was a good man. (laughs) Because he was a kind man. Because he... uh, Because he obeyed his parents? No. Uh, Because he was fair to his brother? Because um, there was something about him that was wonderfully super spiritual? No, the man was a rogue. He was a liar. He was this deceiver. He deceived his father. He, he, He deceived his brother, which he shouldn't have done. He should have trusted God. He deceived his brother... In fact, he behaved so utterly abominably that his brother wanted to kill him and he had to run away from home. And he found found himself at one point lying by the side of a road with his head on a stone. That's not not a good man who gets to that place with those kinds. Why, Why does God love Jacob? Because... God loved him. That's it. He loved him. Did Jacob deserve God's love? No. Did Jacob originally ask for God's love? No. Did Jacob seek to get God's love in the right way? No. Did Jacob seek to get God's blessings in the right way? No. No. It's pure grace. Undeserved, unmerited grace. And God continued that grace, undeserved and unmerited, not just to Jacob, but to Jacob's sons. And if you read the story of Joseph, they were as bad as their dad, if not worse. At least Jacob didn't big, dig a big hole and chuck Esau down it and then sell him to the next lot of slave traders. But Jacob's sons did. Why did God love them? Because God loved them. It was undeserved. It was unmerited. God loved. God loved. And he displayed his love. By again and again and again rescuing them. By again and again and again blessing them. And there you are. You're a Christian and God loves you. And why does God love you? Because you're wonderful? With a little scratch below the surface. I remember a fantastic illustration that's based on Spurgeon, when a student wanted to get into Charles Spurgeon's college and he comes in, I think it's in one of his, uh, I think it might be in his book, The All-Round Ministry or something like that, Lectures to My Students, I think it might be there. And the student comes in and says, uh, 
Spurgeon, I, I want to get into your college. And he goes, okay, okay. He says, uh, I've conquered sin, said this young man. Have you? I've conquered sin, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I think that I'm ready to go into the college because I've, I've conquered all of my, all of my sins. And, 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 uh, and Spurgeon threw a cup of water at him. And this man was so angry, he said, oh, a little bit of water revived all those sins, didn't it? We, we, think, we're, we think we're so good, don't we? You know, and, and we think, well, God deserves me, surely. Surely we don't think that. We, we wouldn't say it out loud, uh, would we? We, we wouldn't, we're not that crass. But sometimes we think it. Uh, but yet, a little scratch below the surface and we're sinners, saved by grace. And God showed his love for us, towards us, by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord of God was dealt with through Jesus Christ, and we are just told to believe and put our faith in him. We're not told to become perfect, because that's utterly impossible. We're just called to believe, to trust, to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Consider the love of God displayed. If you're a Christian, it's not because you're better than anyone else. It's because God loves you and he chose you. And it's a remarkable privilege. It's all of grace. And then he says, have a look at Esau. Now, now Jacob's older twin brother, Esau. Uh, Esau was not much better than his brother, to be honest. I wouldn't say morally uh, in himself he was worse. He was a reckless man. He loved the outdoors. He, he didn't have much interest in God. He liked to go hunting and fighting and shooting and chasing things. And uh, uh, he was reckless about the things of God, the promises that God made, uh, the great blessings of the family that the family had enjoyed. He didn't care about, didn't care about the family blessings. And God says, Esau, I've hated, I've hated. We, we struggle with this, I will admit. How can God love one and hate another? We all deserve what Esau had that God would set himself utterly against us. That's what we all deserve. And that's what Esau had. It's the opposite to love. God does not love him the way he loves Jacob. However, when we think about this, and when you think about this description, remember Esau was incredibly blessed by God. He was blessed by being brought up in a family where his parents knew God and loved God. They weren't perfect, but they knew and loved God. He was blessed by hearing God's truth. He had that. He was blessed in that when he put himself to work and to build a family, God gave him many children. And those children, if you read further on into the Bible, 
If you read elsewhere in the Bible, and, and certainly if you read in Genesis, you'll find that those children had children who had children who had children who had children. And they, they became an absolute multitude. They became a nation of kings. They were incredibly, incredibly successful. In, in fact, when Jacob and Esau, having had the big fallout and uh, being split for a few years, when, they, uh, when Jacob came back, he was a bit afraid of meeting Esau because Esau was such, I mean, uh, Jacob, yeah, uh, if, if, um, if, if Jacob was a good shepherd, uh, Esau was SAS, you know, he was, he was one of those men. And he was a bit afraid of meeting his brother Esau. But when he met his brother Esau, he tried to fob him off with money. It's brilliant. You, you've got to read Genesis. It's, it's so good. He's, he's trying to fob him off. He, said, he sent all his, all his cattle ahead of him. And he said, this is for you. And then he sent sheep. And this is for you. And camels. Get some camels in there. And this is for you. And then there was gold and silver on offer. But Esau could say this. I don't need your money. I am incredibly blessed. I, in, in fact, so blessed was Esau that him and Jacob couldn't even stay in the same area because they were, they were so, they'd become so blessed by God. What did God hate? God hated the rebellion. God hated the casual dealing with his promises. God hated the way that they wouldn't listen to him. It's true of Jacob, it's true of Esau, and of the Edomites, who are Jacob's family. They're called Edomites in the Bible. They're rebellious people. And, and when God says, that's wrong, and punishes them, they defy God. They don't say, we humble ourselves before you. You can read this. This is what he makes, says in Malachi. What they say is, God, I defy you. I defy you. Israel forgot that if they were entitled to anything, what they were entitled to was what Esau's family were getting. And let's be careful. We're here on treading on holy ground. We have a, a glimpse here in Malachi in this passage of something of a mystery the mysterious plan and love of God and the mysterious plan in the way that God deals with one group of people and not with another group of people. And this has been a huge bone of contention throughout history and it's a huge bone of contention in the church. How can God choose one group and not another? How can God love one group and hate another? And it's a, a huge area of, of mystery within the will of God. But we must never think that we are more gracious than God we must never think that we are more just than God. We must never put ourselves over God. We are entitled to nothing good from God's hand. To nothing. And all that we have is grace and mercy. Whoever we are. All we have is grace and mercy. Whether we believe in him or not, we receive grace and mercy from God. But then some receive saving grace. And we have to accept that this is a mystery within the will of God. We must beware of self-pity, pride, self-righteousness. We must be wary of 
failing to see God's goodness and only seeing the things we want but don't have. That, that's, the, that's the problem. It's what we call entitlement, isn't it, nowadays? We have to be careful in our short view of what true blessing is. True blessing is not many cattle and camels. True blessing is to know God and to have him walk with me. We must never lack faith in God's wisdom or his word. The treatment. How do you treat this condition? This condition of a low heart, this condition of privilege. Well, the, the treatment is, is very simple. God's word. It's God's word. How do we treat this? God's word. That's what we have here. This is how God's going to treat it. He's going to speak to them. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. God's word. We must listen to God's word and we must apply God's word. That's what we must do. We must humble ourselves under God. Whenever we feel unloved, we must come to God and say, Lord, speak to me and let me hear and let me believe and let me trust and let me not put my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways and my plans above your plans. God's word to every part of our life. We must apply God's word to our ears. Hear it and read it. If you're at a low ebb, if your heart is down, if you do not feel or love God the way you know you should, then you need to be in God's word and you may need to be listening to God's word. That's, that's the only answer. That's where you must be. To your ears, to your eyes, to your mind. You must listen and hear and read God's word, but you must think about it. You must consider it. You must ponder upon it. You must seek to understand it. It's not enough just to hear. You must talk about it. Discuss it. Discuss it with yourself. I, I don't know, is that just me? I talk to myself, me and my dog, I talk to my dog, I pretend I'm talking to my dog every once in a while. I was talking to myself this morning and some idiot cycled up behind me. I couldn't hear them coming and I had to pretend I was talking to the dog in case he thought I was mad. Do you talk to yourself and say to yourself, get myself in hand? David did. David would talk to himself. He would say, why are you so downhearted, heart? You know, he would talk to, but talk to yourself. Talk to your friends. Apply these truths to your mind. And then apply these truths to your heart. Believe them. Help me in my unbelief. The Bible allows you to say that. Help me, Lord. Help me to understand it. Help me to believe it. Help me to rejoice in it. Help me to value what you say. Help me to hold it as precious. To take the things of God and make them precious to your heart. Make them precious to your heart. And then to your wills. The word of God has got to speak to your will. It's not enough to, have, to say, I understand. It's not enough to say, well, my heart was warmed by it. It's got to affect your actions. 
Let the word of God affect your actions. That's the point of Malachi. The word of God, mind, heart, will, actions. And act upon it. And then your memory. Think about it. Remember. This is Malachi. He says, you know, you think that God has done you so much wrong. You don't think he loves you and you don't really love him the way you should. Remember. Go back. Remember what he's done for you. Like the old chorus, count your blessings, name them one by one. You will be surprised at what God has done. Go into his word. Go through it. Go over it. Remind yourself again and again and again. And we're in, in a privileged position as compared to Malachi because Malachi didn't know about Jesus the way we know about Jesus. And the greatest demonstration of love in, the, in his son, Jesus Christ. And to think about those things, to go over them, to remind ourselves of them, and the cost of salvation, and the work of Jesus Christ, and the words of Jesus Christ, and the promises of Jesus Christ. We must receive his word in faith and say, yes, I believe. In humility, not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. We must repent when we receive God's word. One of the hard things about God's word is it requires us to be humble, to re be repentant. God's word always calls us to repentance and to thankfulness and to be thankful and to be joyful and to be patient to see how God's going to work this out we are not anywhere near the end the end is yet to come and the full the fullness of things are yet to be revealed and we must look forward to that and we must love the people of Malachi's day looked always around them, but never up. And then they said, I don't think God loves me. Because they never looked up. Never thought about the things of God. Or heard the word of God and applied it to their hearts, to their minds, to their lives. When you stop listening to God's word, and when you stop applying it to yourself, what would you say happens to your heart? It grows cold, doesn't it? That's how it works. But when you apply his word and apply his work to your hearts, your hearts grow warm. Oh, when they said, my heart was strangely warmed within me. What was happening? The word of God was speaking to them. They were listening. They were repenting. They were thankful. They were applying it. And their hearts were strangely warmed. Well, it stings a bit, doesn't it? Going into the consulting room of Mr. Malachi. And may God bless us as we come under his word and under his loving care.